Amen. We know that Christ is our anchor. He is steadfast and steady and stable. When we live in a world that is very unstable, in fact, we ourselves are very unstable people, and that is why we cling to Christ. We want Christ. Uh, we want you to know Christ. He is uh, the hope of the world. He is the only hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Let's go ahead and begin today with a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for your continued faithfulness and grace to us. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, have church out here just in this public place in the park. We thank you for just all of the reminders of your creativity, your creation. We can hear the insects and the birds and the frogs, and we can feel the breeze and the sun Uh, We can see the blue sky, and we understand that all of these things are signposts that point to your goodness, your creativity, your holiness, your perfection. And so we worship you today in light of these things. Help us to understand the passage in front of us. Help us to understand what you've called us to do today. In Christ's name, amen. Last week, we began with um, a message that kind of is a little bit related to the series we've been going through in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, John warns us against loving the world or the things in the world and then warns us uh, the lust of the flesh, the the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And uh, we... uh, Went through that passage several weeks ago, and as we have been in the park here, I thought it would be a great opportunity to maybe expand on some of these themes, particularly as we find ourselves right here in the middle of our community, people walking past, um, and uh, and so we're kind of loosely um, looking at some themes around the relationship between the church and the world. Um, and last week, we saw a number of mistakes that we can make. We can think that we're supposed to hide from the world like the Colossians or embrace the world like Demas or mimic the world like the Israelites did at the Golden Calf Incident. And instead of these uh, realities, we are supposed to be, uh, as that well-known phrase, in the world but not of the world. We are to recognize the reality that the church is separate from the world and yet at the same time we live in the world and are supposed to influence it. And so we saw a number of philosophies of the world that the Bible speaks against. We can easily become influenced by the world without even knowing it. We tend to think naturally in the world's categories. Like a fish doesn't know that it's in water, so too Christians many times have a hard time discerning the air that they breathe. And more often than not, Our ideas about marriage, family, culture, manhood, womanhood, authority, psychology, life, origins, meaning, purpose, work, fruitfulness, productivity, entertainment, money, education, justice, and health are forged in the crucible of the world. And what might be the greatest tragedy here is that in many cases the world is influencing the church rather than the church influencing the world. It is exactly backwards. Instead, the church is to be on the front lines actively engaging the world and leading it out of its chaos, disorder, sin, and rebellion and straight to Jesus Christ. 
In Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And this verse is going to be the central verse in our message today. We, as the church, are called to be the light of the world. And so I'm calling you today to influence and impact the world that we live in. My wife and I recently watched a documentary on Antarctica, and I did not realize this, but in the summer months, there is somewhere around 5,000 people who live there. There's a whole village, a whole community there, uh, scientists and, and others. Uh, and in the wintertime, that number drops to around 1,000 people who live through the winter in Antarctica. And the winter consists of months of complete darkness. And it was interesting to see in that documentary that many people, uh, as they live through these winters in Antarctica, actually begin to long for and enjoy the darkness and the solitude. Winters in Antarctica really is kind of the introvert's paradise. I mean, you're completely cut off from everyone else. And so at the start of the summer season, these planes begin to fly in and they unload hundreds and hundreds and eventually thousands of people who will live in Antarctica for the summer. And that first plane that drops off the first load of people, uh, the residents who spent all winter in Antarctica become a little bit anxious. They become a little bit worried. They become a little bit uh, uncomfortable because they kind of appreciated the solitude and the quiet and the darkness that they had there. And the reality is that in much more significant way, darkness in the world does have a grip on us. This is why we need the hope that is offered to us by Christ. And so I want to look at this uh, topic today really in two parts. I want us to see the darkness of the world, and then to see the light of the word, which is scripture. The world is shrouded in darkness. It is something that can be easily concluded that if Jesus says, you are the light of the world, then the implication behind that is that the world needs light because the world is in darkness. The people who live in the world are blinded and they do not know where they are going. This is the present condition that is before us here in this world. The Bible makes frequent reference to the condition of the whole world as walking in darkness. And the metaphor of darkness in scripture is a metaphor that predominantly means ignorance. People who walk in darkness are people who simply just don't know where they're going. They don't know what's in front of them. Psalm 82 and verse 5 makes this connection clear because the psalmist says they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. There's a connection there between the lack of knowledge, the lack of understanding, and the metaphor of darkness. And thus, when we are saying that the, the whole world is shrouded in darkness, it means that the world is ignorant to the truth. And specifically, in the context of Scripture, the world is ignorant to truth about the gospel or the truthfulness of the word of God. We elevate in the world man's ideas that ultimately get us nowhere. 
And we in the world are ignorant to the truth of Scripture. Isaiah 42 brings out this darkness metaphor and compares it to someone being inside of a prison. Isaiah 42 and verse 7, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now the problem with this prison, with this particular prison of darkness, is that the inmates don't find it to be so bad. Someone asked one time, what could we do to build the perfect prison? One might think, you know, well, it's got to have thick concrete uh, walls, it has to have razor wire, and things like this. But no matter how well you construct a prison, there will always be those who are trying to get out. On the other hand, I would propose that a perfect prison is the prison that nobody wants to get out of, the prison that people enjoy being in. Darkness covers our land, and people are content being in this prison. John makes this clear, or Jesus does, through uh, John's gospel in John 3 and verse 19, where he says, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, people are not trying to get out of the darkness of this world. People enjoy being in the darkness. They don't want to come to the light. This is why, by the way, the preaching of the gospel is a very difficult task because you're not walking up to people in prison who are eager to escape. You're walking up to people in prison who get three squares a day, free health insurance, TV, ice cream, and a phone. They have no motivation to leave. They have exactly what they want in this little world of darkness. And so when we call the world to repent and we tell the world, look, you're in darkness right now, come into the light, they respond like this. I don't think so. I kind of like things the way that they are now. You see, the world likes to remain in darkness. The world wants to remain in darkness. This, by the way, is uh, the reason that we believe of the preeminence of God's grace and salvation, because it takes uh, someone as powerful as God to bring us out of that desire and to change our desires so that we don't want to live in that anymore. The light exposes that which is in the dark, and the world does not want to be exposed. Just consider the very next verse in John 3, John 3.20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? What's the rest of that verse say? Lest his works should be exposed. We like and enjoy the concealment and quote-unquote protection that the darkness offers. The darkness offers to us a fake promise. It's not a real promise. But it makes to us a promise that it cannot keep that if we remain in the darkness, no one will ever know and our secrets will be kept safe and will never be exposed for who we really are. We fear exposure. The world, uh, there, there is a bit of a buzzword right now, uh, the word transparency. And transparency, I think, is, is a good thing. Um, 
But uh, even in that, I think a lot of times we're not as transparent as we ought to be. We fear that exposure for someone to know the deepest, darkest secrets that are lurking in those dark crevices in the human soul. We fear that. The world's values are at odds with the gospel, and we have embrace the world's values that's our natural disposition coming into the world is that we embrace the values of the world we've swallowed it hook line and sinker and the world's values are the reversal of god's values isaiah makes this clear in chapter 5 and verse 20 where we read woe to those who call good evil and evil good who put here's our metaphor darkness for light and light for darkness. And consequently, what we can discern from all of these different passages is that one way or another, we live in a very dark world. The world is dark. The United States of America is dark. Ohio, Orville. We need to see people running to Christ and repentance and faith. Of course, we're not talking about a world that is physically dark, but spiritually dark. The world is groping around in the dark looking for answers, and the Word has these answers. And it is to this to which we now turn, the light of the Word. We have been called as Christians to have a certain disposition and a certain response to the darkness of the world. We're not permitted to remain passive about it. We're not permitted to go about our own business. Uh, We're not permitted to uh, let sleeping dogs lie, so to speak. We're not permitted to live and let live. Scripture has called us to engage the world. Scripture has called us to go after the world. God could, of course, chosen any number of different ways to deliver the gospel message to the world. Um, He could have chosen to send angels directly to people. Uh, We could see uh, writing in the clouds. Uh, He's chosen to use broken uh, vessels, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, in order to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He uses broken people to deliver his gospel message for the express purpose of people responding to that, saying there's no way that that message could come from that person. Look at how broken they are. We must worship God because of this. And so our task as Christians, essentially, is to expose the darkness, not to help conceal it. Our verse today is Matthew 5 and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Christianity has the answers that the world is looking for. Christianity has the answers on marriage, family, culture, manhood, womanhood, authority, psychology, life, origins, meaning, purpose, work, fruitfulness, productivity, entertainment, money, education, justice, health, and a thousand other Issues And by the way, I think it is a shame, and I know churches that do this, it is a shame when people come to the church for answers on these issues and the church just points them to the world. Go, those are, that's outside of my lane. 
the church has the answer to these things. But the church also has answers to even more fundamental questions than these, such as how can a man be in the right before God? And having access to these answers, the church then is called to be the light to the world. The church is not called to hide somewhere. You don't hide a light under a bushel. Rather, this, the church is supposed to expose the light, to put it up high so that the whole world can see it. That is one of the reasons that we are in the park today. Uh, we are here today because we are not going to crawl into our closets at home and have church services there. We are, we, we are coming here confident that the answers given to us in Scripture, that the answers given to us by the Lord, are the right answers. And that there is light here coming from the Word, and we can show this to the world. We can do this as Christians... Not because we believe that we ourselves are the source of the light, but because we know the one who is the source of the light. John eight twelve, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Whoever repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will no longer walk in darkness, but they will have the light to illuminate the path in front of them. Psalm 119, in verse 130, the unfolding of your words, that is scripture, gives light. It, that is scripture, imparts understanding to the simple. Uh, this verse is fascinating to me because the word simple if you look up the word simple in a Hebrew lexicon, you will find that this word simple can also be translated as open-minded. Those who are simple or those who are open-minded are counted among those who are vulnerable. How are the open-minded vulnerable? How are the simple vulnerable? Because they're vulnerable to being deceived by lies. And the open-minded or the simple, those people are, in the words of Ephesians 4.14, carried about by every wind of doctrine. If you are open-minded, then you will allow anything to come in. And I think it was Chesterton that said the point of having an open mind uh, is the same as having an open mouth, and that is to close it on something solid. Instead of being vulnerable, instead of being simple-minded, instead of being open-minded, we are to close our minds around the truth. This is what the truth is, and I will not uh, veer from this. We are to embrace the thing that never changes. Peter tells us this much in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Just like you would do well to pay attention to a lamp shining in a dark place, to look where it's pointing you to go, so too you would do well to pay attention to this prophetic word that is Scripture, which is fully confirmed. What does this mean? 
It means that we can have boldness and confidence as we go to the world. We can have confidence that God's ways are better than man's ways. And the temptation that we face is to be ashamed of the truth because it is unpopular. The temptation that we face is to blend in with the world. But Jesus reminds us, as we have already seen, that we are the light of the world. Just consider uh, a couple of more passages here. Mark four twenty one Is a lamp to be brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Are we, are we as a church supposed to keep our mouths shut? Are we supposed to be quiet? Are we supposed to just kind of do our own little thing? Luke eight sixteen. no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or puts it on a stand so those who may enter may see the light. It would be kind of silly if you turned a lamp on in your uh, living room at night and then took a blanket and covered the lamp. That completely defeats the purpose. And hiding the truth of Scripture defeats the purpose of the church. Luke eleven thirty three. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Thomas Watson says on this, their light must not go out. This requires evangelism. This requires us to proselytize. This requires us to speak into culture. This requires us to be brave. Many people will, of course, be too afraid. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We have truth, and the world needs this truth. We are called, therefore, to reject the fear of man and to go out and boldly declare the truth. Here's what I'm calling you to do today. Here's what I think the passage is calling us to do today. To influence the world. The church is called to shape the world. This is obviously a very big task, but I want you to think about it this way. You say, there's no way that just little old me can have a voice loud enough to echo around the world. And the reality is, probably none of us will have a voice that loud but I want you to think about it this way. The Lord has given each of us some version of an audience and some version of people to influence. You may not have a voice that can, uh, is loud enough to reach around the world, but you can influence the people under your roof. You have people that you rub shoulders with, 
And so I'm going to give to you the order that you're to execute this. You are to first bring order into your personal life. Then you are to bring order into your family. Then to your church. Then to the community. And then to the world. And go as far as the Lord will permit you. The reason that many people never get past daydreaming about influencing the world is because there is no order in their immediate lives. They have seen the light, but they choose to walk in darkness. Look at yourself first. Do inventory today. Discipline and control your own lusts and desires. No man or woman who is ruled by these things will ever have a voice that can impact the world that's meaningful. Okay? If you cannot get past pornography, you're not going to get influencing the world. Learn how to tell yourself no. Master self-control. Do not allow yourself to be dominated by the distractions of the world. Social media, the fads, the video games, pornography, the values. Gain victory over depression, anxiety, lust, laziness, and passivity. This can be done through Jesus Christ. It can be done through the gospel. It can be done through the word. And by the way, we're here to help you as a church. Likewise, choose activities that help you to hone in your task here on this earth. Get, get rid of the things on the margins that are insignificant. This means that while not everything in the world is a sin, some things are just not helpful and you should discard them. Hone your hobbies, hone your pursuits, hone your interests. Do not engage in activities that just fill time. I love to go fishing, and I love the outdoors. Okay, but you can become consumed with that, and it can distract you from the purpose that God has called you to accomplish in this world. And Satan's satisfied with that, by the way. He's satisfied to let people go out and do all their stuff, whatever, because it keeps us, our eye off the target. It is not a sin to carry bricks in a race, but it sure won't help you win. There are lots of things like this that we need to discard. That's first base. Bring order to your own life, okay? Then go to your family. Help them bring order into their lives. Help your children or your spouse or your cousin bring order into their life. Help them to not be distracted by the distractions uh, or dominated by the distractions of the world. Show them the value of scripture. Help them to gain victory over their depression, lust, and laziness. Help them to be a man or a woman who has their life in order and then goes and helps other people to get their lives in order. And then go to your church. Find someone here in this church, Crossview Church, who is struggling and go invest in them. And believe me, we have people who are struggling here, like maybe all of us, okay? 
Go find someone here at Crossview Church and invest in them. I, I don't know, coffee, plant a garden together. But don't just leave it at those things. Those things are sometimes the tools to help us to get to the heart issues. But invest in them, in their soul, to the glory of God and help them through their vices. And then after you've gotten to second base, go to third base. Actually, that was third base. Now go to the community. Help bring order there out of the chaos and the darkness that has overtaken it. I'm telling you, there's so many people in this world who long to be an influencer. Okay? Start with yourself. You you cannot be an influencer, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. You cannot be an influencer if you have no victory over your own sin and lust and laziness. Okay, so now that you've done that, go to the community and help bring order there out of the chaos there and the darkness there that's overtaken it. Grab one unbeliever in this community, in Wayne County, who is not part of this church and preach the gospel to them and help them to bring order into their life through Christ. You should have unbelievers that you are either, you know, grabbing coffee with on a regular basis or having over to your home on a regular basis or whatever, that you're pouring the gospel into. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Go as far as God will take you. God has given to us each a different sphere and a different amount of people that we can influence in this life. It may be that mothers have the most significant impact in the next generation this way. Make it count. Um, Make it count. Not everybody will be a Churchill. Not everyone will be a MacArthur. Be content with the breadth of your reach. Focus on the depth of it. Go deep. Someone recently said there are essentially two types of evangelicals. Those who live in the fantasy land of winsome, seeker-sensitive marketing. And those men who know that the world is won by giving it a real, hard, easy-to-discern biblically-based alternative to worldly nonsense. Let's give the world this alternative. Let's preach the gospel to the world. Let's show them Christ. Let's show them the folly, the foolishness of the world's values. Let's not abandon the light. Let's cling to it. Let's call out their gods and show how our God is better, is more satisfying. Perhaps maybe you need to go home and pull out a piece of paper and stop, start jotting down all of the areas of your life that are chaotic and start bringing order at home. 
chaotic here, chaotic here, chaotic here. Order needs to come this way, this way, this way, and this way. And then start multiplying. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, said one time that if the church is to recover from its mistakes of the past generation, that we will need a new kind of man preaching truth to the culture. He said this, when he comes, referring to this man, and I pray to God there will not be one but many, he will stand in flat contradiction to everything our smirking, smooth civilization holds dear. He will contradict, denounce, and protest in the name of God and will earn the hatred and opposition of a large segment of Christendom. By the way, you have to be okay with other people hating you. Or you can't, you can't preach the gospel. Like, that's just a non-negotiable. Tozer continues, Such a man is likely to be lean, blunt, or rugged, blunt-spoken, and a little bit angry with the world. He will love Christ and the souls of men to the point of willingness to die for the glory of the one and the salvation of the other, but he will fear nothing that breathes with mortal breath. We need to get past this fear of man. We need to get past being embarrassed. We need to get past being ashamed. We just need men and women who believe the truth and are willing to take that to the world. You here today, you members of Crossview Church, you are my band of brothers and sisters. And I am honored to run at the world side by side with you, clinging to the hope of God and to the gospel. We have the truth. We have the gospel. Let's go after the world together and preach the hope that God has given to us, to them. Let's be the light that scripture has called us to be in this dark world. Thank you, God for the truth of scripture, and for the light that you have given to us in the word. We pray that you might help us to be brave and courageous and to go after the world with the truth that you have given to us, knowing that it's effective, knowing it's effectual, knowing that it will not return void. Let us just simply have the raw conviction to believe that. We don't need the strategies and the marketing and the, the seeker this and the seeker that. We just simply need to trust you. what you have given is effective. And so I pray that you'd help us to be brave and courageous, to go after the world with what you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.